Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 94. I want to start off, as always, with an apology. Uh, in this case, apologizing that uh, this episode is a few days late. Um, we usually try to put out episodes every Tuesday, but this week it just didn't happen for a number of reasons, uh, all of them having to do with my co-host, Josh Long. Josh. Hey there. How you doing? Um, I've been better. Yeah, your knee your knee hurts. Yeah, I messed it up. How did you How did you mess it up? I was playing frisbee and I messed it up. But you know what? Listeners will be interested in in how specifically what what happened to hurt your knee. Well, I, I collided with friend of the show, Jason. Eakin. There you go. There you go. See, I like to incorporate stuff like that because then uh, it's you know it's a weird thing. Um, I've listened to it. I listened to a number of podcasts, and uh, it's always neat to realize that oh a lot of these people hang out outside, <laughs> outside of the podcast world yeah. like uh recently uh at thanksgiving a lot of my friends were over there were a total of about 25 people there and one of the people there was uh, a listener and and there there was a time in the evening when i was pointing out to him like the various people that he has heard on the show and then i uh, then as i was doing so e- in that moment even i realized like wow i really just cram my friends into <laughs> both of my shows maybe they don't appreciate it <laughs> um but thankfully i've managed to guilt everybody into it and uh, got some good episodes out of it i even got a co-host out of it you don't want to do sure this did. no not at all not at all i wish i was asleep right now yeah just you know with a, with a nice ice pack on your knee right over the knee making it heal it's a weird way That's of what it making it, it heal. Yeah, if you put ice on it, that makes it heal. Wow. Man, those Amish got it worked out. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, thank you, everybody, for your patience. Uh, I do uh, appreciate it. And, hey, you know what? Hey, be praying for uh, Josh's knee. I know that uh, you, you're going without Frisbee. Yeah, for the rest uh, for the rest of the calendar year. For the rest of the calendar year. 2013... The 2013 season is over for you. <laughs> it sure is. And Winter League's coming up, too. I'm going to miss that, probably. <sighs> yeah. Actually, that doesn't start until January. I probably won't be able to anyway, though. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I really try to make a go of it sometimes <laughs> with you and your Frisbee games. <laughs> uh, but you make it so hard to do. Yeah. And and that's the thing. And I need to try and, and in an attempt to try and sympathize with you and your plight. It's like, all right, imagine someone said, hey, Tyler, for the rest of the year, you cannot make fun of Josh and his <laughs> stupid hobbies. 
I'd be like, no, that'd be pretty tough. I would feel crippled as you are now. I would feel (laughs) emotionally hobbled, but uh, physically hobbled. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, I make fun of you more on this show than we, than I do in life. And I feel like maybe people get the wrong impression. (laughs) They might think that I don't like you. They might. They might. Hopefully they get it. I think they do. I hope so. If you're listening to this, rest assured, I enjoy Josh's company. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty diplomatic. Um, Okay. (laughs) You're like, am I saying this with a straight face? (laughs) Right. It's just, it's like, all right. I think I've been able, I think I've maneuvered that sentence just enough that if I were to be called into court, uh, I think it would, I, I don't think I would be committing perjury. I enjoy Josh's company. <laughs> and uh, on the podcast that it sounds like as truthful as it can be, but in, in real life, Tyler has this weird tell where he slaps himself on the side of the head every time he's lying. So it's, it's kind of like. I would, I would, I was going to do a sound effect for theater of the mind, but one of my hands is holding the mic. And so the only way for me to actually simulate that would be to do the actual thing, (laughs) which I don't want to do because that would look crazy (laughs) to you. And uh, then you would have something over me. And I don't like that. I would take a picture of it and I would, I would tweet it to the world. Come on. I've (laughs) I've seen your number of followers. Okay, I would tweet it to 70 people in the world. How about this? I would retweet it and then maybe it would, Catch See? on a little bit. Yeah, and then people would be making fun of your weird hand motion. I've got a weird hand motion for you. Okay, everyone, just imagine I flipped <laughs> off Josh. <laughs> Theater of the mind. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, that's appropriate for the show, Tyler. Fair enough. <laughs> man, oh man, we just lost that podcast award. <laughs> <laughs> Retroactively, people are taking their votes back. Uh, it happens. Um, okay, so... Uh, a couple of uh, quick announcements. First off, uh, as I think I might have mentioned, um, uh, one of the writers for the show, Jim Rohner, is, uh, upon my request, is working his way through his own personal uh, top ten. His number ten was the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, so it was very strange that he, he put that blog out there right around Halloween times, but it had nothing specifically to do with Halloween times. It's just a happy accident, Josh. Hmm. Um, but he has released his uh, uh, an article about his ninth favorite film. Is it Paris, Texas? I it hope is, they all have Texas in the title. Oh, my gosh. Well, okay. Best Little Whorehouse in Texas? Mm-hmm. I'm out. What else we got? <laughs> it's got to be another one. Happy Texas? There's happy one called Texas, Happy Texas. That's one. Um, t- Texas Roadhouse. Texas. No, you're thinking of barbecue. You're thinking of the movie Roadhouse. Oh yeah. So, although, wait a minute, isn't there? Maybe there's a Texas. What's the sequel to Last Picture Show? It's not like Texasville, is it? It's something like that. But I don't know if it has Texas. It doesn't matter. That's neither here nor there. No, his ninth favorite film is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, directed by Michelle Gondry. Oh, okay. And um, written by Charlie Kaufman. And uh, it's it's fascinating. I read through his his uh, his article about it, and he and I have vastly different interpretations of that film. Really. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Are um, you a fan of that film? I don't remember. I am. Okay. Um, I view it actually as a very as a as a cautiously optimistic film mm-hmm. um, that encapsulates through 
you know, uh, fantasy and flights of fancy uh, captures uh, a very core and realistic truth about love and relationships. Hmm. Um, but that in the end, by capturing that truth, that it winds up having a certain degree of realistic optimism. Uh, he actually approaches it with a fair amount of uh, cynic- of optimistic cynicism. It's ve- it's very interesting. So it is interesting. I'll have to read that. Yeah. Um, so you can find that at more than one lesson dot com and uh, and he he's written three articles. The first one is him talking about how he feels like he's not qualified to write his top ten because there are so many movies he hasn't seen. Hmm. Um, which you know, as somebody who has not seen, among other things, Seven Samurai. Uh, that's the one I always point to. As, you got to see the one that I one. And then- <laughs> I know, and then I'm done. Apparently, one <laughs> yeah. and done. Um, but that's the thing is, I can't carve out the I don't know 15 days that it takes to watch it. <laughs> um, but yeah, and so uh, so yeah, it's anytime you make a, a top hundred or a top ten or something like that, I always feel like it's like I should explain. I've not seen this and this and this, and it's like, well, it's favorite. It's it's your favorite, so it's fine. Whatever. Um, but yeah. Josh, what is what is a movie that you you and I were just talking about this uh, off mic? Uh, what is a movie that you have not seen that you're like, well, I can't believe I haven't seen that. I'm I'm you know 38 years old and I have not seen <laughs> that film. Uh, well, what we were talking about off mic is how there's there's a lot of mainstream movies that everyone has seen that I have for one reason or other missed. Um. But do you count that as a failure? Because, you know, it's like, yes, you you might not be able to relate to the majority of people about such and such a film, even a good one. Mm. But you were you were probably taking that time to see this lesser known film that is also good. Mm. So you know, it's yeah. And, and I do feel like it's a trade off that way. Like that's kind of where I chose to spend a lot of my personal film education for a while but there are still ones that like within that that it's like why have i not seen yet you know what actually probably the best example i haven't seen scenes from marriage yet Hmm. which for many people is supposed to be ingmar bergman's maybe not his best but certainly one of his best like when people are listing the most famous or the best bergman films that's usually in the top three i'd say how about this you and i we will agree to watch Seven Samurai and Scenes from Marriage. We'll spend a whole year doing that. <laughs> and then uh, then and we then, can move on. Then we don't have to watch any more movies. And then here comes 2015. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... And, and everybody has one or two or, in my case, probably 25. Um, you got to see Predator, though. Yeah, I know. I'll say that right That's now. That's why I haven't seen Predator. No, I wish right. I could remember some of the other ones that were on that. We, we were off mic talking about the Empire... Uh, Empire Magazine list of the 500 best films, which we have... Some of those are so inessential, it's fine. We have ridiculous problems with that list, and that's, no, uh, that's sorry, for another no. day. We have problems with that ridiculous list. That, Our problems are perfectly reasonable. That's true. <laughs> um, okay. So uh, so moving on. Uh, so yeah, uh, you can find Jim's... Uh, you can find all of his blogs uh, at uh, morethanonelesson.com. I also want to say, hey everybody, Chris, uh, Halloween Times is not here. Christmas time is here. Sure Happiness is. and cheer. Um, 
whoop-de-doo and dickery doc. That's something I tweeted recently. That is, uh, that's a lyric from uh, a Christmas song that I mostly like, except for that lyric. That's one of my least favorite lyrics of all time. Whoop-de-doo and dickery doc, and don't forget to put up your sock. Huh. It's one of those like kind of a, almost a vaguely jazzy song that has no sentimentality to it at all. <laughs> um, and uh, I hate it so much, but that's neither here nor there. Christmas time is here. And um, so if you want to do some Christmas shopping, you can go to morethanonelesson.com. You hey. can shop in our DVD, Blu-ray, music, and bookstore. And you can uh, buy uh, any number of the movies that we have talked about on this show. You can also buy... You can buy uh, various more than one lesson related products for your friends because surely if, you know, if you bought somebody a more than one lesson shirt, they would be so excited. For example, I once bought a more than one lesson shirt for my co-host, Josh Long, and he was so (laughs) excited that I've never seen him wear it. But that's all right. That's all right. I've worn it. Okay. You haven't worn it in front of me. I guess that'd be weird. Yeah. So. I can't wear it in front of you. That'd be weird. Yeah. I just, I, here you go. I just folded it today, which means it just came out of the laundry today, which means it was in the laundry. It's because I was wearing it. Hmm. I feel like you're trying to trick me. <laughs> um, but yeah, and so, uh, so you can do that. And then you can also, uh, as long as, uh, you know, you're uh, supporting us, in my mind, uh, you can purchase uh, your very own copy of For the Title. You sure can. Written, directed, Written by, directed by, and starring our own Josh Long. I wouldn't say starring. Featuring. You're in it. I know, but I'm not the star. That's, a, that's you know, anytime something says starring, I always just assume one of the actors, you know, it could be like starring, and then there's like 15 names. Mm-hmm. Obviously, some of those people are more important than the others, you know. That's true. I'm certainly not the most important one in, for the title. I don't know who is. You know what? Listeners, you can decide for yourself. Go ahead and buy yourself a copy for the title, and then you can tweet us and let us know who you think the most important character is. Aha, but what you will not realize is it is a trick question. The most important person is you, the viewer. (laughs) The secret ingredient is love. Um, okay, so I think that's as, that's uh, all we've got as far as announcements, and it only took us 15 minutes to get there. Uh, sorry, everybody. It is, uh, I'm a little rusty. It's late at night, and it has been a busy and stressful week, and I'm just happy to not be dealing with it anymore. <laughs> um, I have totally checked out, and I am as drunk as a skunk. Um, and Josh no. is uh, checked out himself. He's totally. uh, looking at his phone. What's I, going on there? I'm trying to find... <laughs> Some of the ones on this list. Oh, okay. Actually, Fair enough. I got, I got so distracted thinking about that. No, yes, yeah. this has to do with the podcast. I, I have to find a good one that really sums up the type of movies that I should have seen by now and somehow have not. But Well, you said Carrie was on the list. Uh, yeah, Carrie is one. That's But even that's like a... Uh, okay, you mentioned Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah. That is an example. That is a very good example of... It is a pop movie all the way through. It's John Carpenter, a genuine mm-hmm. auteur, um, but it's just such a. But it's one that like. Here's an here's an example of Big Trouble in Little China. In high school, when I said, "Hey, you know what movie I just saw? It's called Chinatown." Mm-hmm. It'd be like, oh, and invariably 
people would say, oh, is that with Kurt, with Kurt Russell? And I say, no, that's Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> and it got to the point where I would say, you, I'd be going through my top 10 or something like that, back when Chinatown was in my top 10. Mm-hmm. And I would say, uh, number five, Chinatown. And they would furrow their brow, and I would just say, you're thinking of Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah. They, uh, they right. were always thinking of it. <laughs> uh, that's, how, that's how much people in our generation... Like, you just saw it. I don't even remember when I saw it, but I know I've seen it. Uh, I remember key ridiculous scenes from it. And uh, But you were kept away from it, apparently. You were homeschooled in Big Trouble in Little China, <laughs> off limits. We all wanted to see it, but none of us were allowed to. It was very sad. Oh, man. Um, Meanwhile, they showed, us, they showed it to us in public school several times. <laughs> American Psycho is another one I have not seen. Th- I did not know that. Yeah. That is exciting now here's another good one lethal weapon i've never seen lethal weapon neither have i oh really yes comedian mike schmidt gave me a lot of crap about it on the air uh, about a year ago yeah but see this is where this list gets weird because i haven't seen that but i have seen the enigma of casper hauer a little known Werner herzog film from 1974 i can picture the cover and the cover always intrigued me it's actually it's pretty good actually of of his films i'd say it's one of the ones that i like more I think I like him as a director, and, and yeah. that's that's one that I uh, remember reading about in one of my, like a, an Entertainment Weekly book that was released in like 1994 or something like that, and they mentioned that that was one of the best ho- uh, foreign films, Yeah, cause, so, which I don't like to look at it that way, because right. like foreign is not a genre, but right. that's fine. Um, but yeah, it's, it's uh, I was going to say something about it. It's, it's Some of his films are interesting but they're kind of a slog to get through like heart mm-hmm. of glass is like that because you watch heart of glass because you hear the story about how all of the actors were hypnotized before they did any of their scenes which is crazy and so you want to see it for that reason and then watching it you're kind of like i'm not necessarily enjoying this but it's interesting the end i'm never going to understand the end of that movie but uh, would you say the film is pardon me hypnotic <laughs> Uh, maybe I could I could maybe say that oddly enough it's quite manic <laughs> but uh, but yeah Casper Hauer is one that has a very interesting I think it has an, a, an interesting core concept behind it well already I'm intrigued because it would appear that the S is silent because mm. I think of it as Casper Hauser I think there's an S in there but maybe I'm always looking at it wrong. Maybe I'm thinking maybe I'm of Huelhauser. <laughs> the uh, enigma of Huelhauser is one that cannot be solved. <laughs> uh, I think it is Hauser. Yeah, I've been saying it wrong. Hua. Well done, sir. All right. I haven't even seen the movie. Did you Did you see the movie? <laughs> I guess Apparently not. not. I missed all the S's in the movie, um, except for the one in Caspar. <laughs> And then you ju- and then you just mispronounce Casper. That's strange. Okay, we need to move on because uh, I want to try and bring this in in under an hour or right around an hour. And I do not think that is possible any longer. No. But um, okay. So we are deviating from the usual format uh, as we do from time to time uh, because there's been a conversation that has happened in the last few episodes. Uh, that we've just kind of been dancing around, uh, and I decided to devote a whole episode to it. Um, so there is a movie that you might have heard of called My Son. We have made reference to it. It is a Christian film. 
and it is known primarily for being rated R. Uh, we were approached by the director of the film. I do not know how he found us, but it's kind of neat that he did. But uh, to to review the film. It, it came out this year, for yes. those of you who haven't heard about it yet, or haven't yes. heard us talk about it. And uh, and I did not have the time, so I forwarded it on to uh, our good friend, your co-host and mine, Josh Long. I said that as though I'm introducing you again. Um, <laughs> Am I my co-host? Only you can say that. Am I my own co-host? I don't know. So, uh, so yeah, you reviewed it, and and per a discussion that you and I had, you decided to incorporate just the the I don't know, I don't know what you would call it, just the strange occurrence of a rated R film, uh, yeah. a rated R Christian film, which right. it's the first time it's happened. Uh, it will likely be the last at least for a while um but it's hard to know so i became as will sometimes happen with me uh certain aspects of christian art will get lodged in my head and then i need to know everything about it uh listeners may recall years ago i had on uh, jacob kinberg and peter boru to talk about their experience with a documentary or a fantasy film that did not get made, and then a documentary that did about the experience called The Ice Shield of Aletheia. Uh, when I watched that documentary, I decided to immerse myself in everything about it, looking up people online, looking up... It, it just was fascinating. And so this will happen specifically with uh, Christian film uh, because it is something that I am fascinated and frustrated by. And so... And then one of our, I don't know if he's a listener, but somebody um, uh, in the comments of your review linked to a a rather in-depth Facebook discussion in which they talked about uh, should the film have been rated R. Certainly the director and the producer did not think it should be rated R. They thought it should be PG-13 and that it was rated R so that uh, as a way of the for the MPAA to kind of lash out against the film because as a Christian film, they are courting a Christian audience who tend to be scared away by an R rating. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and they said, there's nothing in this film that you will not find in a PG-13 film. And, uh, and the MPA just chose to do this to kind of keep us down a little bit. It's funny to think that that, that is... That attitude is something that the producers of this film have in common with, say, John Waters. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> I almost said something about that in the article, but I wonder how they would feel knowing that that's the company that they're keeping in, uh, in, uh, I guess, reacting against what the MPAA is giving them as a rating. Maybe it would cause them to clam up a little bit, knowing that, like, hey, you know who you remind me of right now? <laughs> you ever see Pink Flamingos? <laughs> the answer being no, of course. Um, I believe Pink Flamingos was on that Empire list. Was it really? I think it was. I'm, I'm not 100% on. sure. I might have, I've been going through a lot of lists lately, marking down what I have and have not seen, and I seem to recall recently marking off Pink Flamingos, which I watched out of curiosity uh, in high school and uh, have regretted it ever since, uh, as will always happen when you see a John Waters film, though I actually have a tremendous amount of respect for him. Um, I don't think I've ever seen a whole John Waters film. I think I've seen parts of some of them. Cry Baby comes on TV periodically, which is I've never seen that. Weird. I've seen Pink Flamingos, which is the 
John Waters film, yeah. and then I saw a movie called Pecker, hmm. which is pretty good, and then I saw Cecil B. Demented, which is actually a lot of fun, too. I've seen some of that, too. So, um, yeah, I did not think we were going to be bringing up John Waters on this show, <laughs> uh, but it's, it, kind stands, of it stands to reason. Um, so, it j- so this discussion about content uh, it that that I saw on Facebook it it evolved into other things about like what is necessary in a film, what is appropriate in a film. Um, you know, it talked about is nudity necessary in a movie? Is mm. is simulated sex ever necessary? Or can can things be implied through you know just like. Uh, you know, a look or a certain type of kiss or whatever. Um, and, and in this conversation, thankfully there were, there were differing opinions, but I thought that this is something that we have talked about in various capacities on the show, but we've never really put it all together into one episode. So I wanted to do that and sorry. And I wanted to, uh, I wanted to try and make it, uh, kind of, easy to understand what what our opinions are and maybe and maybe josh and i don't uh, don't share the exact same opinion i think we mostly do but uh but yeah it's when dealing with this a lot of what we're talking about is personal conviction and so that there will be differences in that so okay so i want to kick this off with a bible verse one that is often used when talking about this yeah and it is philippians 4 8 josh listen to this all right, lay it on me. I will. Don't hurry pre- up. stop hurry pressure. Up. We gotta Josh, go. We gotta go. Josh. We're running out of time. Ah, Denny's. <laughs> okay, this <laughs> Philippians four eight. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I actually have a little card with this verse in my wallet, hmm. uh, which I have had for about. 15 years you had Um, the wallet for 15 years i had the card for 15 years Uh, the wallet i've probably had for like seven okay Um, still seven years i know i don't like to part with my wallet it's a solid wallet it's a solid as we like (laughs) as we call it that rhymed oh no i'm sorry everybody um (laughs) shame on you i yeah i feel that shame (laughs) i'm way ahead of you on that one um so yeah it's uh so that is a verse that is used specifically whatever is pure, but whatever is noble and lovely and all that. Uh, it is a verse that I've heard many, many times from often from youth sponsors and youth pastors and that sort of thing. Uh, I have been very fortunate in my life to have been a part of a number of churches where Movies were not discouraged, and even R-rated movies were not discouraged. I had a youth pastor that I've that I've spoken about who uh, passed away somewhat recently. Um, who he didn't watch rated R movies, but he did not push that on the the kids. I mean, obviously, said you know you should be seventeen. That's that's kind of the rule. But uh, but he did not guilt you if you went and saw something with, you know, your dad or something like that. Uh, and that's something that when I hear what a lot of other Christians have experienced regarding that, uh, I have tremendous respect for, uh, his name is Randy Edwards. 
I have tremendous respect for Randy for not for restraining himself and not pushing his personal conviction onto a very impressionable audience. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but a lot of Christians have experienced that uh, this verse and a number of others, uh, so one of which I will say in a moment, um, they've had that put on them. And so, but the environment in which I was raised, an R rating was not terrifying. It was not the worst thing. And I want, I don't want to zero in solely on the R rating just yet. But, but the Christian community often does. The R rating is like the Mark of Cain or <laughs> perhaps the Scarlet Letter or any number of things. Let's go with Scarlet Letter because R is a letter. Um, and so... Uh, Scarlet Letter. Sounded like a really laid-back pirate. Um, <laughs> Tired pirate. It's a tyrant. I'm sorry, everybody. I like to combine things. Um, <laughs> to make them less easy to understand. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so, <clears throat> uh, so yeah, the... One of the things that it, it's hard to it's hard to kind of differentiate and really put into words. Uh, one thing that will often happen in the Christian community in response to art is they will look at things in and of themselves. They will look at an R rating. They will look at the inclusion of sex. They will look at language. They will look at violence. They will not look at anything around it. They will merely look at the thing itself and use that thing as a way to dismiss uh, the larger film. Mm-hmm. Um and so, and the most obvious version of that is simply the R rating. So I will now go to my co-host Josh, and I will ask you. Okay. Uh, I know that you were raised in a uh, let's say a movie positive environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was your what What was your parents' attitude towards? Uh, let's just stick with the R rating for the time being. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, th- I I I wasn't allowed to watch. Radar movies when I was younger, right? Yeah. Um, but once, once I was older, and once it was obvious that I had an interest in film and the art of film, you know, I think my parents encouraged that. And there would be, I remember there were some things that, if my parents knew I was maybe going to watch, they were just like, you know, be careful, like, yeah, that, you know, that has a lot of this, that has a lot of that. Just be, you know, be aware of that. And and, um, I think my parents just wanted to make sure that I was, um that I was being discerning when it came to watching things like that. And, um, I think, I think the attitude of saying it's okay, but having some kind of level of caution was a very positive, uh, influence on me in that way, because then you knew that there, that those things mean something like when, when there is more, more violence or sexual content or language like those, those mean something mm-hmm. the, the rate, the R rating does mean something. Yeah. Um, but it isn't, as we say, a scarlet letter that needs to be shunned and stayed away from at all costs. Um, yeah, I, I actually, I like the way that you, you phrased it, that as you were going to see a movie, they said, be careful. Mm. It was not as you were going to pick the movie. It was as you were, you had already made the decision to go and see it, and whether that is exactly what you meant or not, that is often, I think, the way to, it can be the way to go, which is, 
rather than simply say cut off an entire not even just genre just an entire leg of movies because of the rating attached like that is one could say that is a way of being careful my opinion is that is overcautious because you are cutting yourself off from a lot of movies that might be personally enriching mm-hmm. um so they say so one could say like oh you're you're gonna you're deciding what movie you're going to go see. Be careful. And we all know what that means. Don't see anything rated R. But mm-hmm. your parents said, okay, you're going into this movie. Be careful. Yeah. You can go into it. And while the movie's happening, you can just, you can apply caution and discernment and you can comb things out of it. Uh, as opposed to if you just, there are plenty of people that you, you can do this with a PG movie. Yeah. You just walk in being undiscerning and just accepting everything the movie tells you yeah. and then just absorb it. Yeah. Uh, and you might be absorbing something that really goes against what you believe or what you think is right. Yeah. I've always thought, I feel like parents can have those type of conversations with kids, regardless of what the movie is. I mean, I think it might be cool if some parents are sitting down and watching some R rated movies with their kids and then talking about those things afterwards. Like, yeah. What do we think about the things that are, I mean, obviously don't sit down and watch showgirls with your kids or something right. like that. Um, but, uh, I, th- I think, I think it can be good for, for anyone really, but I think especially for kids to have a, a, a moment to like sit down and think about what that content means. Because again, I say it means something like, mm-hmm. um, I think we shouldn't just like, we shouldn't treat scenes of like, explicit sexuality or scenes of you know like decapitations or something like that like it's just another thing that happens in a movie right um that those things should have some kind of weight to them and i think if it's in a movie where it doesn't have some kind of weight to that's something to talk about too like if the movie doesn't portray it with weight i think that's a thing to talk about that's getting into another topic kind of but well and I'll, i'll use that to actually get us into the topic um into one of the topics so the big three are violence, language, and sex. I can't think of really anything beyond that. Those are the in the Christian world uh, when you when watching movies or TV or whatever. Those are the big three. It's funny because drug use is another one that that's true. Gets, I, yeah, it gets the rating and is actually one of the things for which my son gets the R rating. Mm-hmm. But I maybe it's my experience. I don't feel like that's as big of a deal in the Christian community. Yeah, I don't think so. I like, think because, I mean, like, when is the last time you saw a movie? The only one I can think of is Pulp Fiction, where you see somebody doing heroin, and it is not Terrible. immediately the worst thing a person <laughs> yeah. can do. I, I mean, there's a lot of pot movies, and there is that yes. stuff surrounding that, but eh, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like those generally aren't the sort of things that if you're if you're a lover of film you need to seek out well and it might yeah, that, well, that's true not not there, there's there big Lebowski, there's you know right but i don't want to make a, a sweeping generalization but i i think that's not half baked i get it <laughs> there are films that are made just for people who like to get high and watch movies and happen to be about marijuana as well so that's yeah um, and you know, it's interesting. I instinctively was about to like hedge and say like, you know, Hey, if you're someone who gets high, it's not my place. It's like, yeah, I think it's, I think it's wrong, but also, uh, I've, I've spoken to a, a surprising number of people that are high and I am not. Uh, and that is, the, it, invariably it's always one of the worst, it, 
worst experiences of my life. <laughs> it just ruins my day to try to talk to somebody that is high. Um, <laughs> Not too thrilled to talking to talking to drunks either. That's one of the mm. things that has actually kept me from drinking. Is <laughs> it's like, oh, well, I sound like that person, <laughs> and that may sound a little judgmental. That's not a. That's less a moral judgment and more just, oh, I don't like what this person is saying. I, I once had a conversation with a guy at a uh, like a rap party thing, um, where he had gotten very drunk and wanted to talk to me about religion. Oh, good. <laughs> So that was an interesting turn of events. I think that, I think he I've had one or two of those. Yeah, I think he at the moment didn't know that I was a Christian, and then when it kind of came up and he realized that, he became much more. He, he was nice about it, actually. He became much more uh, uh, accommodating. I think. Oh, good. He still didn't agree with me, um, but it was it was an interesting turn of events. Well, anyway. It's good that he wasn't just openly hostile. Um, yeah, and I think it might also be that you know, violence, sex and language those are all things that you can ostensibly do without a great deal of uh effort you know mm. i could punch you right now sure um, could i could call me a foul name while you did it yeah and while and while like sex is something it's a very purposeful thing there's lust mm-hmm. which you know it, it gets inside your head and you don't need another person there that's just it's something that can be very much inside you whereas drug use that is a very that's a very purposeful thing that like you you would have to go out find drugs mm-hmm. and then do them yeah and so like if i'm a parent and my 12 year old sees something that involves drug use like well i know my 12 year old is not going to seek this out it's you know it's not going to get in his head like i've got to do this you know if they, whereas if they are presented with it maybe they will think about that movie and think, oh, yeah, well, I guess it wasn't too bad or whatever. Um, And like you said, with the exception of uh, some movies that revolve around marijuana, most movies that depict drugs do not depict it in a positive light. Right. Certainly any harder drugs. Like, I, I... I am I am yet to see a movie touting the virtues of cocaine. Well, Wolf of Wall Street comes out soon, maybe. (laughs) You never know. Um, Yeah, it's... uh, so I think that, and you know what, that speaks to a lot of what we're, what we are going to be talking about, which is movies tend to instinct, inherently contextualize drugs hmm. and do it in a negative way. And even, even marijuana, because while it is funny to watch the dude, you know, burn one on the way to his, you know, latest adventure in the Big Lebowski, you really do get the impression like, his life would be much easier if he didn't do this all the time. <laughs> he would have been able to yeah. figure a lot of this out sooner, if not for this. Um, so yeah, it's, well, that's uh, that's like your opinion, man. Fa- you know what? Fair <laughs> enough. Um, so uh, so I feel like I feel like what we're going to be talking about is that any of these things—language, violence, or or even sex and nudity—which um, is kind of the uh, anti-holy grail the unholy grail of film uh but we'll, i'll get to that uh later um like you and i are, are going to say that any of those can be acceptable if if contextualized correctly mm-hmm. and and i and yeah that's the reason i i think that is the reason that uh, parents tend not to have a problem with depictions of drug use in movies because it is instantly given that sheen of undesirable yeah um 
not to imply that I think sex should be depicted as always undesirable (laughs) in film, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. Okay. So we'll start off with violence because that's, that's what you had, uh, because you had kind of jumped to that. Mm Hmm. So violence, uh, a lot has been said lately in the last 10, 15 years about, and a lot of people that I know uh, certainly have complained that it's like Christians have problems, or they often say Americans, not even just Christians, but the second part might be implied. Um, Puritanical, one could say, puritanical Americans. Um, It's like, oh, they have such a problem with sex in their movies but they're okay with violence. Yeah. And I would say, by and large, that's actually kind of true. A movie that has a lot of violence, depending on the, the kind of violence, it could very easily be PG-13. Oh, yeah. Um, There's so, movies with, like, decapitations and stuff that are, are PG-13. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. is kind of... They're awesome. <laughs> um, it's kind of horrific to think about. But... Uh, but yeah, I do think that's true. Somehow, uh, something in the water, something in the culture, uh, we we are more, uh, we find violence more acceptable than some other cultures, at least than Europe. Like a lot of the comp- the comparison is usually made to European films, which oftentimes have a lot have a lot more sex and are a lot more freer with sex, but a lot more freer. That's wrong. Um, are a lot freer with sex, but don't tend to have a lot of violence. Yeah. And so, or at least not to the degree that, you know, no, nobody's making a RoboCop over there. Fair enough. That is their loss. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so I don't want, I'm not asking for a, uh, you know, a, a treatise on, on why Americans are more okay with violence in their film, or I would venture to say, you know, certainly, uh, a parent, a Christian dad, is probably not going to take his par- his his kids to see something that that is going to have some sex in it. But he's very likely to take his kids to see an action movie. Yeah, um, see uh, the Avengers. Yeah, you know, which has admittedly a, a kind of a cartoonish type of violence. But even so, you know, my my parents, much like yours, you know, when I was too young, don't see rated R, you know, when you're eight years old, you shouldn't be seeing this anyway. Um, but my dad would, you know, like if my mom was out of town, it's like, all right, just the guys hanging out, we're going to rent cliffhanger, you know, which has, uh, some pretty rough violence or, and the first rated R movie that I ever saw was die hard Two, die harder. And, um, and I saw it when it was new, when it was a new release on video, so I must have been nine, <laughs> and that was one that I watched with my brother and my dad, um, and that involves uh, certainly a lot of gunshots. A guy gets an icicle shoved through his eye. Isn't that the one that has a pretty a pretty rough uh, throat slitting in it? Uh, I can't remember that immediately. It might. It's one of the Die Hard movies has one that w- was upsetting to me when I saw it. I think I saw it on TV. Younger, that says something else about yeah. uh, violence that we you can show a, a fairly graphic scene of someone's throat being slit on television. Yeah, TV's pretty great. Um, and I do remember there was a, a guy gets sucked into a, a propeller uh, uh, of an airplane. How, how's he turn out? Does he make it? Uh, he winds up mostly just a splatter of blood on the wing. Okay. It's really quite... Uh, and that's... It's disturbing... 
to me to think about it now, but there was nothing cooler to me uh, when, at that age. I started to incorporate people getting chopped up in propellers. I started to incorporate it into my action figures, <laughs> into my drawings and stuff. That to me was like, oh my gosh, totally chopped that guy up. Um, but yeah, and so I, I do think that violence, for whatever reason, is something that Christians are a bit more okay with. And... When I was younger, I was okay with it. Now, as I get older, I'm actually more disturbed by violence. Hmm. Um, and so, uh, I want to just quickly go through a few a few uh, questions that uh, contextualize violence, because the question is, you know, if you were to ask, certainly my mom, who incidentally was not there for Die Hard 2 and uh, <laughs> Cliffhanger, um, you know, she would say, well, it's like, oh, I don't like that violent stuff. I, you know, I don't think people should be seeing that and all that. And that's, you know, not to throw my mom under under the bus. That is a very, there are certain, uh, certain groups of Christians that would say that same thing. That like, oh, you shouldn't be putting that in your head, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, so I'm going to throw out some questions uh, that there are no definite answers to. I'll give you some definite answers. Okay, I appreciate it. Yeah. That, that'll save us some time. Good. Uh, hey, Josh, how much violence is acceptable in a film? I'd say somewhere in the six to eight range. All right. Okay. okay. So, you know what? Let's just, let's average it out. So, seven violence. Seven violence is acceptable. Okay. Got it. Got, got it. it. All, All right, right, man. Call Hollywood. All right. Hollywood, you need to rate this a seven. It's seven. Yes. Eight. That's- Nine, you're getting ridiculous. Eight this is, is of course, right out. This is on a scale of 23, as we all know. Yeah. So, uh, 23 is just a straight-up snuff film. Zero is, uh, oddly enough, uh, footage of a live birth. It's the opposite of death. Hmm. Still pretty violent, though. <laughs> um, but yeah, and so, so how much violence is acceptable? The reason that I lead with that question is because... how. How do you know there that you can't quantify it? Yeah, it has to be contextual. Yeah, you know, um, and we'll get to a couple of movies that I think uh, uh, get it right, and then one that gets it wrong uh, in a moment. <laughs> um, but oddly enough, action movies are not talked about very much in the Christian world. What is talked about is horror. Yeah, that's one that I, I think I told you this. I think it was last year. Um, on uh, on Facebook, I think it was on Facebook. I had posted to one of our horror themed episodes, and uh, there was a little uh, a little conversation that happened um, on Facebook, and maybe even in the comments of that episode. I don't totally recall. Um, in which uh, Christian said, "Like, oh, I just you know, I don't think people should be seeing that. I think it's wrong. I think it's you know, I've heard people refer to I've heard Christians refer to horror movies as demonic." Mm-hmm. Um, and while I do think that horror can be specifically disturbing and one should proceed with caution, um, it is interesting that an entire genre gets written off as not merely bad taste, not merely disturbing, but literally morally and spiritually wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you're not much of a horror guy, um, but your reasons are that you are because I'm scared of him like a little girl I was going to merely say that you are frightened and think because I'm scared of him like a little girl okay no question about it <laughs> there are things that frighten me as well no offense it's, to little girls yeah they might 
have more wherewithal. Some than, of them do, I'm sure. Than yourself. I know a lot of little girls that love The Ring, and you will never, ever see it. I'm not going to see that movie. Um, I so badly want to make you watch The Ring. I know. Um, but yeah, and so, like, what... I mean, obviously, you don't think horror movies are demonic. Yeah, well, I've, I've always... I, I don't know what to do with that criticism, because I don't feel like it means anything. Like how can I don't know how you can ascribe demonic to an, uh, an an artifact in that way? Like it's not possessed by demons; it's not created by demons, right? Like uh, it's like oh, did did the demon make the transfer from VHS to DVD? <laughs> right. You know, what about Blu-ray? Oh, high definition. Demon. This one's demon approved. Um, um, but so I and and I've I've encountered that before with christian community especially in the homeschool community like growing up there were a lot of things that you people weren't doing because they said it was demonic halloween was one pokemon cards was another one like i have to assume magic the gathering (laughs) well that yeah that was that's right out that was way out yeah um but uh but yeah or or uh i didn't know people who did this so much but i sort of didn't encounter it but i know a lot of christian groups are against like uh, role-playing games Dungeons and Dragons or things like that that was one I heard a, a lot about uh, when I was when I was a kid yeah so all, I feel like all those things have been called demonic but I don't know I feel like that's just a, a name that gets placed on things and it has demon in it and we all know demons aren't good so <laughs> I, I really feel like that's all there is to it like I don't understand what they're I've never heard an argument a, a rational argument that makes me think that there is a connection between these things and demons that makes them unacceptable for Christians. Yeah. I think what, if, if push came to shove, I think what a lot of Christians would probably say is that, uh, such and such a movie or such and such a type of music or whatever, or playing, you know, Pokemon card. Really? Yeah. That one's new to me. I haven't heard that one. Man. Oh man. Let's get out of this. Let's just get out of this religion, Josh. It's not working out well. Um, but yeah, uh, that they're that they're not demon possessed, but that they give demons a foothold. That's that word foothold. That like you know, once these images or whatever come into your mind, they don't leave, and that by making you think about them and dwell on them, that a demon can use something that you've that you've readily put into your body or into your mind and it will use that to make you fearful, make you sad, make you any number of negative things. Mm. So I've heard that and that doesn't sound horrendously irrational to me Mm. because, but then we get into any other it's in that instance, horror is no, is no different than violence, no different than language or, uh, or sexuality in film, which is yes, certainly, you know, Satan will get a foothold however he can, and so that's when it's up to us as discerning adults to recognize. Well, these are my problem areas, mm-hmm. and so if you like myself, as I've said on the on the podcast before, you know, have a problem with you know, let's just say lust then maybe certain movies should not be on my, should not be on the menu. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and that's not something that I would begrudge somebody else. Maybe somebody who doesn't deal with that. Yeah. But that's that's me. So if someone were to say to me that in watching horror films, they feel like it it fears them with it fills them with fear and like harbors some kind of irrational fear or well, yeah. some kind of any kind of fear in them that maybe distracts them from God or leads them away from God or something it like that. It could lead them to maybe a a, a despair yeah, or and a hopelessness. I did have, I had a friend in college who I had this conversation with um, where he, he was, he did not believe Christians to watch horror movies. And part of his argument was based on the verse that says, uh, God has not given us a spirit of fear, which I, again, I don't remember the reference. Um, but, he was saying these these things promote fear that's the reason you watch them to be you know to create fear and he said that's not something that comes from god so and that's interesting because that is not necessarily i don't necessarily agree that that's why people watch horror movies yeah that's true you know um that is definitely why somebody would go through uh universal halloween horror nights because there's no character development to be found there, except maybe sure in yourself as you become a worse person. What's the opposite of development? <laughs> um, uh, regression, obviously. There you go. Um, deconstruction. Personal character deconstruction. So, um, yeah, I, I walked through those mazes, man, and you weren't there. You didn't. You don't get it. No, I wasn't. And I never you get taken be. apart, and you put yourself. You got to put yourself back together by the end, and you're just not the same. Um, so okay, so we're talking. Okay, so we talked about horror movies and just and and violence and like, is it acceptable? Is it immoral? Is it demonic? Uh, and the answer we came to is, of course, no, not necessarily. Um, but there there are some that would just say, well, violence of any kind is just bad in movies. And this is where we get to the contextual thing. And so I don't want to harp too much on it because I've already talked about it. So I wanted to. I'm of the opinion that, opinion that anything can be acceptable based on how the film approaches it. Um, and so with violence, is it approaching violence in a way that is that glorifies it? Hmm. Or is it approaching it in a way that recognizes this is ho- truly horrifying, not necessarily in a horror movie type of way. Mm-hmm. This is disgusting and sad and it has real world consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple movies off the top of my head uh not off the top of my head it was in my notes when i wrote it um <clears throat> but uh the proposition which is a film mm-hmm. i love and is extremely violent but each death is one that you feel even when it's a character you don't particularly like and one that quote unquote deserves to die uh the emotional ramifications, not merely on you, but on the other characters, you're always keenly aware of. Mm -hmm. And thus, the more violent it is, the more impact it will have on you. And you will actually have, you will have, like, the more graphic it is, the more of a negative feeling you'll have towards it emotionally. And so I think that's one that needs to be graphic. I mean, we see, you know, people's, heads explode we see people get you know stabbed in the gut i mean we see some pretty rough stuff mm. we see a very in-depth flogging scene which is pretty rough um another one is a history of violence which i think is particularly 
uh, brilliant. It's directed by uh, David Cronenberg. It was my favorite movie of 2005. And that's one that has the trappings of a thriller in which a guy has to like face off against the mob and he has to protect his family. You know, very basic things that you'll find in like your average popcorn thriller. But the violence in it is so graphic and so disturbing combined with the fact that we're dealing with a character who was very violent and now strives not to be. And you think, well, you know, why would you strive not to be? You're super awesome. Look at you. But then by showing just how gross the violence is, mm-hmm. we are repulsed by it just as the character himself is repulsed by it. Yeah. And so I feel like that's one that, that emphasize that again to, I'll repeat myself. Um, the more graphic it is, the more effective it is in making it an anti-violence movie. Mm-hmm. Um, can you think of any off the top of your head? I've, I feel like I've always felt like most Scorsese movies, he's pretty good with that. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I feel like Goodfellas is one that kind of, it goes from one side to the other when you see how like they can use violence to their to their advantage because it is that whole like rising to the top and then coming back down story. Right. Um, but you see where they use violence to their, to their, uh, for their own benefit. Mm -hmm. But then you see ultimately that it does have consequences. And I think there's a lot of moments throughout where the the violence is upsetting. And I think purposefully so to, to show that like, this is not, this is not going to work. Like this is not a solution. Like it's a, there's a lot of things that it's a short term solution. Yes. But it's, one that Bad, will and it's messy. cause m- way more problems. Than, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. There's the uh, the the one I always think of is with the uh, Joe Pesci with the pen in the bar. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. I won't say too much more about it for those uh, who haven't seen it. But that's and a nice little microcosm is once again Joe Pesci. There's a common theme uh, is uh, violence and Joe Pesci. <laughs> um, there's a scene where he is uh, he's having fun shooting a gun at somebody's foot. Uh, asking them to you know dance you know like the old like old westerns and stuff so people are forced to like move around to avoid the bullets and then and so it's like this funny kind of ridiculous thing and it it has no consequence and then of course he winds up shooting somebody in the foot you know and the person's foot is just shattered and destroyed Hmm. it's like oh yeah right this is fun until you realize oh yeah, this means something. It's yeah. not consequence free. Mm-hmm. Um, so I will bring up a quick example. So, proposition and history of violence are both rated R mm-hmm. for, among other things, extreme violence. Mm-hmm. Goodfellas as well. Goodfellas. Oh no, no question. Michael Bay's Pearl Harbor, on the other hand, is PG thirteen and thus acceptable. However, I feel like that has a tremendously immoral view of violence, mm-hmm. uh, the way it depicts it. Uh, the one, and, and what's more is uh, it has such a there, – there's a shot in the film that's like, okay, well, this sums it up. I don't even have to talk about anything else in the film. This shot sums it up. So the attack is happening. Oh, my gosh. Even describing it makes me mad. <laughs> the attack on Pearl Harbor is happening. And our heroes are being killed, and it's very tragic and sad. Um, but also kind of exhilarating. You know, people walk away, like, talk about Pearl Harbor with somebody. And they'll be like, well, you know, the attack was pretty cool. It's like, cool? 
I'm pretty sure real people died and it was yeah. horrific. You know, nobody would describe the for the the landing uh on the beach at Normandy in Saving Private Ryan. Nobody would describe that as cool. Cool. They might say like exhilarating or but probably not even that. They would just say like, "Oh man, that's pretty rough." Yeah. You know, and it's like, yeah, it is rough. Whereas in Pearl Harbor, it is cool. It's done by the guy who would go on to make Transformers movies. Uh, but within the scene, there is a shot of basically a POV shot where the camera follows a bomb as it falls through the air and then hits uh, one of our sh- one of our ships. And it's literally like. Okay, so now we're doing POV. Like, we are from the point of view of destruction. Yeah. We are not in the point of view of victims. Hmm. And it's like, and in that moment, I feel like you see where the director's true loyalty lies. Where, what he's really, because admittedly, it's a, it's a cool shot. But it's cool when you divorce it from any context. <laughs> you add even the, just a slight amount of context, which is, this bomb's about to kill people. And you're like, oh, that's bad then. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but it still looks cool. Yeah, but maybe there's something beyond that. Yeah. I feel like that film's attitude towards violence. I would, I would, was there, I don't remember, was there any outcry from like people who were there during the attacks to say like, this is, uh, you know, a, a cartoon glorification of the violence that happened that, you know. I don't think so. Not that I recall. Um, and I do know that I think there, there was a time when the film was going to be, uh, R rated and be a, a bit more graphic, but that's the thing is like that shot was still probably going to be the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so that's a shot of not tremendous violence, but I still find it incredibly disturbing mm-hmm. because I'm now being put in the, in, in the in the shoes of the aggressor and not even the human aggressor, literally just the instrument of destruction. And if it were admittedly, there are other movies that put you in the, in the position of the murderer or the, or the aggressor. Um, but, but it's not in service of looking cool. Exactly. It's in service of making you feel a little uncomfortable. Maybe you don't, it's like, Oh, I thought I liked violence in movies, but, Maybe I don't actually when yeah. I see it from the point of maybe when I'm put in the view put in the in the you know put in the place of the the murder maybe I realize like oh I don't want to be here it's like okay well maybe maybe take that into the theater next time with you mm-hmm. um, but yeah in Pearl Harbor it's all about looking cool yeah and that's the thing and so here we have movies that are very violent and rated very violent and rated R and a movie that is that's violent but not graphic and PG-13 and one of them is tremendously more in my opinion tremendously more immoral than the other two mm-hmm. and it's because of context it's because of how the film treats it so um, so we will move on and we'll talk about language Josh I've got a verse for you right now alright I'm ready alright Ephesians 4.29 let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is good to the good to the use of edifying sorry i don't i I copy and paste it okay i'm i want to make sure i got that right okay yeah that it may minister grace unto unto the hearers okay now 
that is more that that is not necessarily about film itself that's more about like how we should uh talk uh, ourselves and as somebody who does swear in my everyday life uh more than i should uh and when i say more than i should i mean by virtue of i feel like i overuse words that have power and in doing so i think i rob them of their power mm-hmm. um but i'm not opposed to using them occasionally uh for emphasis or something like that. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. Um, so language in a film, you know, and, and so let's go, okay, we'll go back to my son. How much, how much, uh, foul language is in the film? None, none, or. zero. And so in the conversation, uh, that Facebook conversation I was talking about, the director himself got involved and mentioned that, you know, we don't have any language. In your opinion, Josh, why is my son rated R? I think it's because, well, there are two things in it that are that that go towards the rating. One of them is drug use, and the other one's violence. And I think the type of violence and the context of that violence is is I think more realistic and more upsetting. Um, mm-hmm. So I feel like it's more because of that type of violence because it's uh, I may I feel like we might have talked about this a little bit when we mentioned it before. Yeah, I think so. Because I feel like you and I had a conversation about the movie Elephant. This may have been off mic. I don't remember. Uh, but, I, it is. It was on mic. Yes, we okay. talked about it. Basically, Elephant in, involves a school shooting, um, and then uh, my son involves a, a shooting at a church. Right. Yes. And both are rated R. And there are a few other things in in Elephant that I think would push it over the line anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's mostly because there are school shootings. And I don't think even think you see much of the violence. Not, in not really. I don't no. know if you see, I don't know if you see blood or anything like that, but just the fact of it. And that it's a thing that we deal with yeah. on a real like day to day basis. It is inherently um, disturbing. Right. Um, and mature content. Right. Um, yeah. And so, so we're so there's drug use in my son, and then there is a shooting at a church. You know, shooting of innocent people. Both of those are very heavy. Yeah, but the director would have you. I was about to say he would have you believe as though I'm you know arguing a court or a court case or something, but in his mind, well, there was no language in it. And the violence really is no worse than you would would have seen in you know your average PG thirteen action movie. And first off, he's he's removing context because of course shooting into a church full of civilians is different than a fun uh, car chase or something like that. Yeah. Um, but then like, but then he also says there is no there is no language in it. And it just and one thing and it just astounds me that like, you know, I understand words can be powerful, obviously, uh, and they there are some words that e- even when I hear them, I'm like, oh geez, okay, there it is, they just went right for it. Um, but uh, but yeah, and this this one I don't actually feel like we need to spend a whole lot of time on, but um, but yeah, in your opinion. Because there have been some movies that I've seen that have so much language, and it's and it it's hard to explain. I can't even really. Uh, I feel like I can't explain 
why it's just i just it feels unnecessary it feels like I, why, why are you why are you doing that mm-hmm. like it feels forced somehow yeah i've seen films like that as well yeah and like can you explain why it feels forced in in those movies i think it's situations where it doesn't feel natural and where i I think that happens in movies where the filmmakers want to be edgy Mm -hmm. and feel like it's not edgy enough on its own yeah they need to show us how edgy these characters are by having them use a lot of foul language um you know talk in a way that's gonna it's going to upset mainstream America, you know? Yeah. It's, it's this kind of, it's this attitude of like, we're going to shake you in your seats. Like you're, you're not going to, you're not going to be able to sit comfortably through this one. Yeah. And it's kind of like, what do you, there's a self-consciousness to it and it, and it does feel forced, you know? I mean, I I would talk that way too, honestly. Like I, I have known people who, when they swear, it feels like they're doing it to prove something and it doesn't naturally fit into their vocabulary at all. And it feels very strange. Yeah, as somebody who uh, I am a fan of stand-up comedy, and I used to go to a lot of stand-up shows, some of them featuring people that uh, had not been at it very long, and they mm. would incorporate it into it as though they were being edgy. Yeah, um, as it, was, if, it was something of a crutch. It, yeah, you see that a lot in comedians who are, are kind of new to it, I think, yeah. who like think that a swear word is a punchline. And the weird thing is... It's not necessarily about how often, you know, let's say, you know, the F word, like how often it is used. Because much as I am not a big fan of Kevin Smith, you go back and watch Clerks, there's a lot of swearing in it. But uh, but for some, with the exception of the character of Jay, who is over the top, um, it doesn't feel excessive. It feels natural to these characters in the way they talk. Hmm. It doesn't feel forced. It feels like he's merely trying to capture the cadence of, of the, of his friends and that sort of thing. And so, um, so yeah, I, I think I said this all the way back in episode four, uh, when I oh, talked about super bad 90 episodes ago. Yeah, that was uh, indeed 90 episodes ago and several years. Um, <laughs> But uh, but yeah, Superbad is a movie that just has tremendous language in it. Um, but it doesn't bother me. And in fact, I feel like it's a, I feel like it's appropriate. It it, it fits who these characters are. Mm-hmm. And in the end, and we're you know same old tune. Like that's context. Would this character talk like this? Yeah. If the answer is yes, then what's the problem? Yeah. You know, um, not to not to uh, keep harping on the same one either, but I think Goodfellas is another film where that's the case. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of language in that, but I'm specifically with Joe Pesci's character. That's just the way that is the way these characters would talk. Yeah. And people have said the same thing a lot about war movies. Like if you've ever, if you know anything about soldiers, they don't, they're, they're known for talking that way or sailors or whatever. Yeah. Um, I hear you, you know. You curse like a sailor. You know, Me? Well, just you like everybody. Like, oh, if everybody. you curse, you're cursing like a sailor. Like, right. that's how you know you cur- that you curse a lot as a group, is you become the simile. Um, but, uh, yeah, and I remember, um, did you ever see Crimson Tide? I don't think so. Is that on a submarine? Yes. 
No, I don't think it's got I Gene Hackman and Denzel Washington. I don't think I've seen that one. It's great. I yeah. love that movie. And I first saw it with my parents uh, when it was out in 95, I think. So I was 13. And there was some language in it. Um, it's rated R. And I remember my mom, who is still very much averse to, to language uh, in film, even she afterwards, when we were driving home, she's like, you know, I didn't like all that language, but I guess they were in a really high pressure stressful situation so you know what i i think maybe even i would be talking like that and i was just like ah, oh. <laughs> you know context there it is yeah and i mean many movies by the by the nature of uh just because of the nature of drama are putting people in very high pressure situations yeah. so it is more likely that people would talk like that in even regular people even even non-sailors Oh my uh, gosh! Might talk that way in the kind of situations that come up in a in a movie, in a fight between a husband and wife, for instance, in some like I don't know, Revolutionary Road or something like that. Oh yeah, um, that's it, it's it's just more natural. Yeah. Um, and again, we we have started this out by talking about like if it is if it's something that's going to be a problem for you as the viewer, if you feel like. Uh, you are totally you are not at all okay with uh with yourself swearing and you feel like watching those kind of movies will cause you to to swear more or make you feel that that's more permissible then maybe it isn't something that you want to watch but i think we're not we're saying that 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 language in a movie by itself does not make the film unacceptable by nature right right yeah, we're talking about, you know, a word that I that I like to use is inherent. You know, uh, a movie is not inherently bad because it incorporates this. There are movies that incorporate it badly mm-hmm. and ones that incorporate it well, you know, and that's dependent on each film. Um, so, okay, so we'll now we'll get into the, the last section here. Uh, and if you want to hear a very in-depth discussion about it, you can go back and listen to our episode about the movie Shame. Um, and so we're talking about sex, sex and nudity in films. Um, and this is the one more than anything else. This is the one that in the Christian community, it is largely believed to be always unnecessary. Mm-hmm. And I, and I see the argument. I very much do, especially with nudity. You watch violence and you know, no one got hurt. Mm-hmm. You you know it's fake. You see a naked man or woman on screen. That's them, with the exception of the end of Boogie Nights. It's like, <laughs> that's them. There's no hiding it. That's who they are. And, you, that, and you're looking at it. You're seeing something that really, in many ways, you shouldn't be seeing. Mm-hmm. But you are. And so, and since you quote unquote shouldn't be seeing it, then that makes it an inherently unnecessary. Now, I don't agree with that from an artistic standpoint, but this is the one that I, I definitely see where people are coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's where, you know, character and actor become one. Mm-hmm. You're not watching a naked character. Mm-hmm. You are, but you're also watching a naked actor. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so what I, 
what I usually come away with when it comes to sex in a film, or I'll stick with nudity specifically, um, because there are plenty of like simulated sex scenes that actually don't involve any nudity, and it's just, and you're also aware, like, well, they're not actually having sex. Mm-hmm. Um, but with nudity, it is something that you know. Certainly, as I, as I've said before, it's something I always need to be careful with whenever I go into a movie that I that I know has some or or whatever. Um, but also, uh, as far as it being inherently bad or or wrong or anything like that, um, I guess the I, I feel like first off, you I feel like you can always tell when everybody has approached with caution. Um, because to me, it is a tremendously vulnerable thing. And if I feel like uh, a filmmaker has asked his actors to strip their clothes off and has done so casually mm-hmm. or for a joke or for whatever, I do bristle a little bit at that. And I just like, ah, oh, that poor actor or actress, you yeah. know, maybe they believed in this role, but probably it's just hey i got this part and i'm and i'm excited to do it and this is part of it you know yeah i think i can agree that there's a lot of uh of nudity and sex in films that is the the end game is just getting people excited or turned on or whatever it is right and uh it doesn't it might add something to the story that you know, might make it more realistic or might feed into the, I don't know, might somehow aid a certain tone. But there's a lot of it where the purpose that is there is to be titillating. And uh, it, it then those situations where it's not approached with caution, where it's kind of thrown in, it's, it's exploitative, really. Yeah. Uh, I keep thinking of Game of Thrones, which I have not seen any of, so I don't know. But from what I have heard about it, there are lots of scenes where it seems like they've peppered nude women throughout just to keep people watching. I saw the first episode, and yes, there's a lot of nudity. There is really only one scene in which I felt like it was artistically... acceptable if not necessary um because uh to me like if you want a scene of tremendous vulnerability for a character nudity is a really good way to do it Mm -hmm. for for men or women because in that scene in game of thrones there's this woman who she's being you know she's basically being married off to this guy that is essentially like king of the savages uh, essentially and she's like being bathed like to be re- be prepared for that and she's nude and it is in many ways it is very beautiful it is not necessarily erotic but it is also it's sad also because she really is in many ways just being exposed there she can't hide in the in the context of the situation and in the context of the story, there's nowhere for her to hide. There's nowhere for her to go. She has no protection. Um, a similar, well, two similar examples where I can think the nudity is used that way is uh, one is Schindler's List, mm-hmm. um, which obviously they're in a concentration camp and they've been stripped of 
dignity and human humanity and so many other things and that is yeah. physically manifested through through the nudity and then if uh i think they do a similar thing in 12 years a slave which came out this year yeah where there's i think there's well there's a couple scenes where that happens but one of them is the the uh where there's kind of the slave auction and they have yeah. some of these uh slaves just completely nude just standing there for people to you know choose whether they want to buy them and i think again it's it's used for a similar purpose that it's dehumanizing and that it's taking something away from it's making them vulnerable in a way which they shouldn't be and so i want to address something that you and i are now talking about which is it it's it sounds as though the only way that we think nudity in a film is acceptable as if it is inherently non-sexual hmm like the three things that we just described are not inherently sexual. So now, so, okay. So what do you think about, about that? Well, it just, I guess I'll, I'll put it out there in question form. Is nudity in a film acceptable in your opinion? Is it acceptable if it is paired with a sexual context? I think it can be, but I think the line is a lot more difficult to see there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and again, we you know I think we keep saying the same thing, but th- there is a there's a question of how it affects you personally, and I think everyone needs to come into that. Same with violence, same with language, same with sex. All three of those, y- you need to come into it knowing how these things will affect you, and that should lead into discernment about whether or not this is something for you to to watch yeah but um as far as whether it is an acceptable use it's it's hard to say because yeah i don't know yeah it's and and i i'm having a a a hard time thinking about like movies that although and i think i might have mentioned this in episode number five (laughs) that we're going back 89 episodes ago. indeed indeed uh, in which I talked about the reader. Did you ever see the reader? Mm-hmm. Okay. So there is a scene, you know, when, when we talk about nudity, we're usually talking about female nudity. Um, but there is a scene of just full frontal male nudity in the reader in which, uh, uh, this, uh, older, well, she's not older, but there's this young man who's probably like 18, uh, and then there's an older woman who's probably in her 30s, and they have embarked on a sexual uh, affair. And um, and there's a scene where he is in a bathtub, and she has him stand up, and she's going to wash him. Now, there it is inherently sexual, what is happening there. Um, but, like... It's that that shot where she is fully clothed and he is nude and just standing there while she watches him like that is such a perfect visual representation of who has all the power. You know, he is and it is don't get me wrong. It is it is sexually charged, but he is vulnerable not on, not unlike the the character in both oddly enough in the Game of Thrones scene that I'm talking about and in this Mm -hmm. scene. We're dealing with characters who 
have no protection from this person. Now he is there willingly and sh- and in game of Thrones, she is, she is not, but, um, but we are also at that moment, very aware that like, he is really just, just a kid. Like he doesn't really know what he's getting himself into, but he's willing to be vulnerable and open himself up to this woman who is not nearly, uh, she, she's not close to being that willing to be vulnerable mm. and it winds up being sad while also being much to my surprise overtly sexual. And so, and so even then like it's a sexual situation, but I'm even, I'm ascribing a negative context to it, mm. uh, which is showing his vulnerability in this relationship and her power. Um, and, that it is not balanced. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I guess that is the question and may, and it's one that we ne- can't necessarily answer, which is, is that, you know, is it acceptable from a moral standpoint on the part of the film, but then on the part of the viewer, is it acceptable to go into a movie that has nudity and puts it out there as in a, in a, an extremely positive way and one that is overtly sexual. And so sexual, positive nudity at that point, it's hard not to get into the, into the area of titillation as you were talking about. Mm-hmm. And so that's one where it's, you know, I, I think it's, I'm sure there are movies that have done it and it hasn't seemed exploitative. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, you know, that, that's where I definitely see things from the perspective of Christians that I would usually disagree with mm-hmm. because, you know, if something is put in that very positive and erotic light, it's going to be in your head. Mm-hmm. Now, some people, it might not stay there. Yeah. For me, it does. And so... You know, there there have been movies that I've like uh, Jen and I years ago went and saw uh, Black Swan, hmm. and that has some scenes of I don't think I don't remember if there's any actual nudity, but scenes of definite eroticism. Yeah, and so it's just like okay, uh, it's like I know how it's like I know how badly I want to see this, so maybe I'll just. Uh, move my eyes to the corner of the room or something like that. I also think it's telling that uh, there's a point in the director's commentary for uh, Requiem for a Dream where Darren Darren Aronofsky says, I've always thought of myself as kind of a pornographer (laughs) and uh, knowing that, that's going to be kind of his approach to to sexual content. Can't wait for him to, can't wait to see Noah. (laughs) Noah. Um, yeah. And so I, uh, so I actually want to maybe try and transition into this idea of, you know, morality on the part of the film, because when we're talking about on the part of the film, what we're really talking about there is the filmmaker. Mm -hmm. And so one thing that, that does come up a lot, and I know that I've, I've certainly talked about it with a friend of the show, Jason Eakin quite a bit. If you are a Christian filmmaker, are there certain things, and I'm not talking about an actor. An actor doesn't have a whole lot of power once they're on set. Certainly an actor can can choose to say, like, you know what, I don't think I should take that part. 
Um, so they do have that option. But once they're on set, they don't have a great deal of power, whereas, whereas a director does. Mm-hmm. And so if you are a Christian director and perhaps a writer-director, um, you know, at what point, or is it contextual again, at what point is it acceptable to incorporate graphic violence or language or even nudity? Yeah. And so I'm going to throw it to you because, you see, any, any answer I give is purely academic. Uh, you actually are striving to be a writer-director. And so, and I do know, just based on the things of yours that I've seen, that, like, you, you tend not, you're, you're not going to be making good, you know, a mixture of good fellas and showgirls. <laughs> uh, show fellas, as I like to call oh, it. Oh, no, I knew it. Um, or good girls, which doesn't sound nearly as uh, risque. <laughs> as it would be. But, uh, but yeah, and so... Um, so I know that naturally you don't you don't really skew that way as far as what the you know the stories you want to tell, but conceivably, let's say next year you get tapped to direct a movie. That's when it all happens yeah, next year. Yeah, uh, it's always just a year away. Um, <laughs> you know, unbridled success. Um, so uh, and so and so of course next year you just make the type of movie that you want to make, and then a year after, and then a year after, and then. Five or six years down the line, you have ultimate control. You can do whatever you want. You're a very bankable, successful director, and the studio leaves you alone. Mm. There's a lot. There's a lot of suspension of disbelief here, <laughs> um, and you get it in your mind to like. There's a story I want to tell, and I I do not think there is a way to tell this story without nudity. Mm. Not a lot, but I think it's necessary. Yeah. First off, do you ever do, could you ever see yourself getting to that point? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. It's I mean, it depends on the story. And I I don't think I I don't think I believe that it's never acceptable to have nudity or even sexual nudity in a film. It's I don't know. It's a question of context and 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 what it means and how it's used. And I I mean with in regard to nudity specifically it's it's always been something in the art world like there's something about the human form mm-hmm. that is consistent throughout all of art history and uh those aren't as you said the real people the real actors but they were i mean they were models of real people they were right. models of you know, um those are depictions of the bodies of of real people um, all the famous art that we know. So I don't know. I think, I feel like there is a context in which exhibiting the human form is, is used as beautiful and is used for a point. Um, and I, I can see myself being at that being in a place where I feel like that's justified. Um, and I don't, I don't feel like that's something wrong to put in the film just because I, as a, the theoretical director in this situation, am a Christian. And so in that situation, and you may have answered this already, in that situation, you would have no qualms with letting yourself do that. Or would you – because I have no doubt that there have been Christian artists in the past 
who feel like they, you know, whether they're telling a story or, or you know, recording a song or whatever, um, they know that to to really do this the right way, they need to do it like this. But they feel like they they can't quite square that with their beliefs. Hmm. Not that they have the a conviction, but they feel like based on what perhaps what other people have said or maybe how they will be regarded or something like that. Mm. Um, so they, they compromise artistically so that you, you better safe than sorry. Mm. Um, do you, do you think you, you know, and of course this is all theoretical, but like, do you think you could see yourself doing that? Like, Especially like if if you if you felt the need to tell a story that involved nudity, do you think you would get to a point where you're like, I see why this is necessary, but you know what? I, I wanna be careful. I don't want certainly I don't want anybody coming at me with saying like, How on earth could you ever make such a movie? Um, but also, you know, I don't wanna be a stumbling block for somebody there that's a big one, like mm-hmm. the idea of I don't wanna be a stumbling block for somebody else. Like yeah. would that dissuade you from doing something that in your mind is necessary. I don't think so. Okay. Really. Um, and I think knowing the way that I approach my own projects, I I feel like if someone were to be saying, I don't think we should put this in here, I would first try and think if I felt like there was a way around it or a way to change it so that it wasn't necessarily necessary. But if I was at a point where I felt like it was 100% necessary, then that's what we're doing. <laughs> I mean, I think I felt this is a much, this is a different and smaller situation, but uh, I've worked on comedy stuff where I, I feel like it to be funny, it has to be done a certain way. Um, and if you do it a different way, it, it doesn't work. So yeah. even if, even if, an, even if an actor doesn't understand it, maybe I might say, just do it this way. Trust yeah. me. This is the way it needs to be done. Um, we're doing it this way. Or we're not doing it at all. <laughs> Um, and you know what? It's it's interesting uh, to get back to you know what we were talking about. I did think of a movie that I don't know if it has a great deal of nudity, but it sure does have a lot of sexual content, very erotic sexual content. Mm-hmm. And I think it is. I think every scene of that content is necessary. And that is the movie Unfaithful. Have you seen it? I have not. It's great. It's a great movie. Diane Lane. Diane Lane nominated for best actress for yeah, it, rightfully so. Wonderful performance. Um, and it's this woman who is part of a marriage that is not loveless. It is merely, and it's not boring. It's just what she's used to. She's been married for, you know, probably 20 years. And then she sees the opportunity to have an affair with this guy who's, you know, attractive in French. I mean, come on, you know, who, Hey, I wouldn't say no. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so the scenes between them are very, are, you know, are very erotic and very passionate and all that. Uh, and there's a wonderful scene. I think it's the scene that she was nominated for. It's she's coming home. She lives in the suburbs of New York. She's coming home on the train, thinking back to what she has just done. And she is like laughing and smiling about what has just happened while also crying about what she has done. She manages to do both at exactly the same time. But that's the thing is like the more erotic that scene is, 
the more palpable her desire to do it and the more satisfying she finds it. But of course, she doesn't want this, but we have to understand why she would want it. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to understand how she could step outside of a genuinely loving marriage and do this thing that is thrilling and passionate and new. And if that, if those scenes are not sold as passionate and erotic, then everything crumbles. Mm. And that's a, that's a movie that I point to and say it needed every erotic moment of it because every time you, you as a viewer are like, you're like, wow, this is pretty fun. Um, that that will turn that the more you feel like that the more sour it will turn Mm. as the film continues and as she starts to regret what she's done and as we see her husband uh feel hurt by this thing it's really it's a fantastic movie uh just in general but um but i feel like that's that's an example of what of of necessity and and yeah i'm Man, I'm really interested to see this uh, this sex romp that you're going to make someday. <laughs> um, you know, complete with uh, horrendous violence mm-hmm. and so much language and drug use. Let's not forget drug Plenty use. Plenty of drug use. But um, it's going to be a modern retelling of Tom Jones, my favorite Best Picture one. Of course, yes. We'll get to that uh, in I don't know three years. <laughs> so, um, so I think I want to. I want to end there as far as the specifics, but I, I want to sum up by saying that what, what, what we've said already, but I want to, I want to end on that, that like none of these things that we've talked about are wrong in and of themselves, certainly not from an artistic standpoint, that it's all about how they are used. You know, you can have a scene of a guy's head exploding. You can have it in a ridiculous action movie, and that scene to me is just like, oh, I don't, that's not good, you know, but not, not in the way you're supposed to. It's more just, it's supposed to be like, yeah, awesome. High five. That guy's head just exploded. Punisher War Zone. What was that? Oh, Punisher War Zone is exactly it. <laughs> Although to a certain extent, the violence there is supposed to be so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I think you and I found it ridiculous anyway. <laughs> um, but, uh, so, like, a guy's head can explode in one thing and then in another, as it does in the proposition. And and it's the tone around it, the character's reaction to it, that dictates what the film feels about it, you know. Mm-hmm. As many people have said, if you made the Bible into a movie, it would be a hard NC-17. Yeah. Um, but we accept it. Why? Because of what it's trying to say, because of the truth behind it. Mm-hmm. And so you can have sex, you can have language, you can have drug use, you can have violence. And it's what is it working towards that having those things in some cases, having those things in a movie are an end in and of themselves, certain grindhouse movies and, and uh, you know, exploitation. But often those things are a means to an end. And so rather than get hung up on the fact that they're there at all, the question is, what is the end? You know, and are the, were these means necessary for that end to be as powerful as it was? So I think we'll end there. 
because we've gone way longer. And now I don't even know if we can do Denny's, although I've gotten my second wind and I, I can. Um, and I'm so hungry. Um, but yeah, uh, can you think of anything else that you want to throw in? Uh, I, th- I don't think so. I think we've talked about, I think we've hit everything I wanted to. Okay. Uh, all right. Well then I will just sum up and say you can go to more than one lesson.com and you can do, you can read so many blogs, you can buy so many things and it'd be so much fun. You can also follow me on Twitter at more lessons. You can follow Josh at the Josh long. You can email me Tyler at more than one lesson.com or Josh, Josh at more than one lesson.com. Uh, you can join our Facebook group. You can request access, and I will likely grant it. There's been one or two, and I'm like, I don't trust you one bit. That's not true. I, I let everybody in. So um, anyway, uh, so thank you all for listening. Uh, tune in next week. We will be talking about, uh, we'll be doing a mini-sode about my favorite film of all time. What is it? You could probably look it up, but I'm not going to tell you. You'll have to tune in to find out. Stay tuned. If you don't feel like searching uh, my new top 100 at morethanonelesson.com, then stay tuned and you'll find out next week. In the meantime, thank you all for listening. Josh, thanks for being here. You're welcome. And we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.